This week, we welcome Ben Ten. He's the team lead and of defense and countermeasures at Trusted Sec. We're going to talk about purple teaming and avoiding detection. In the security news, Zoom's remote code vulnerability is affecting over 700,000 companies. Wait, no one, I've been out of the office. No one told me, I guess I should have patched. Uh, how <laughs> YouTube, I did this morning, my computer, I did apply all the updates. How YouTube is trying to ban hacking videos, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. One terabyte of police body cams footage is available online. And how the U.S. Cyber Command warns of an outlook flaw exploited by Iranian hackers. In our final segment, we air a pre-recorded interview with someone's name that I was not prepped on how to pronounce, Reinhard Hotschreiser. He's the CMO at Humio, I think is how you pronounce that. Jumio, is it Jumio? Jumio, uh, to discuss uh, today's state of security demands and the need for biometric authentication. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Effectively securing your organization and its reputation requires a smarter approach. To maximize efficiency and minimize risk, security experts turn to Logrhythm, the only leading solution built solely for security teams by a security team committed to your success. With next-gen SIM, user and entity behavior analytics, network traffic and behavior analysis, security automation and orchestration, and compliance, Logrhythm provides security made smarter. Is your IT team ready to face the next implementation or upgrade? Do you have a pool of talented team members who are trained and ready to support your organization's growth? The right IT skills development platform can get you past the IT skills gap. With training content that's so engaging, some even call it binge-worthy learning, your team will watch and learn more with IT Pro TV. Get a free team trial of IT Pro TV today. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash IT Pro TV. Are you an enterprise dissatisfied with overpriced analytics software that can't keep up with modern data? If so, then GraphWell is the solution for you. GraphWell is an unstructured data analytics platform for enterprises who demand total data visibility across their network. GraphWell lets your security team go beyond the SIM and fuse data sources to correlate and answer questions you didn't know needed to be asked. Go to gravwell.io forward slash security weekly for an unlimited data trial and gain uncompromising visibility today. But first, welcome to Paul's Security Weekly, and let me introduce you to our host, to my right, a man who believes that bad things come in threes, so he apologizes if he gets any on you, Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. It's number 611, recorded on <laughs> July 11th, 2019, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, uh, here with me. Thankfully, some of my friends uh, are with me, and I need to be around my friends after this week, believe me. To my left, Mr. Larry Pesci. Uh, Very welcome. Good to be here. Yes. Good to be here. Nice to have you. Sharing some bourbon. Yeah. What is it? So Dave Kennedy always told me this was the, the best like value in bourbon. What is it called? And I always blank on the name, and I can't see it because the bottle's turned. Is it Old Overholt? No, it's no. that one right, right down there. What oh, is, um... Uh, Michter's. Uh, Michter's. Whenever someone asks Dave about bourbon, he's like, 
go get a bottle of Michter's. It's not expensive. And it, what do you guys think? Like, it, really, it's good stuff. It's like really it. yeah. good, yep. right? And it's yep. not o- expensive at all. Um, it's well, the best it's, value. It's on the bottom shelf right now. Well, it, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we we can put it up top. And we, I've, we I've been drinking old meaty or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Doug White is here. I, I miss Doctor Doug White. Yeah, I, I missed everybody. I haven't been here in like a couple. Because oh, you were in like Poland. And I was stuff. in. Thank Poland. you for the cigars, by yeah, the way. You're welcome. Hopefully, that cigar I gave you is really is it's really very good. nice. Yes, it's very good. Fellow Armenian Paul Gamarian made that yeah, cigar. Well, so. It's a very nice cigar. So I'm Fantastic. very very pleased to have it, and so glad to be back. Awesome. Patrick Laverty is here. Uh, sporting the new Security Weekly hats. Yeah, I was going to say I'm all excited because I got the old uh, DEF CON shirt. And uh, where can people get one of these hats, Paul? Uh, you got to come to DEF CON. Go and to, you got to be in the vendor area. Go to DEF CON. They just came in yes, yesterday? I, I want to say. No, say, literally. I saw her say. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. It was yesterday yeah. they came in. So this is like the first time yeah. anyone is ever uh, adorned I've or seen, seen one. Uh, these hats. What makes so. them really cool, I think, is the fact that it even says Security Weekly all inside. It's got Security Weekly in the back. You, you guys went all out on these things. We, we did. It was a, a, a very interesting design process. And uh, I had never really seen hats quite like this, like the, the unique kind of characteristics about them. So. Uh, I was excited when they when they came in, Great. and uh, I'm excited to be wearing it and show our fans. And you can get one of these yeah. at DefCon. I know Aaron and I are going to be at the booth selling them. Nice. Yes, I, I I think I said, uh, of course, now when I say it on the air, we'll have to honor it. That if you want to buy a hack naked T-shirt and a hat, you just got to give us twenty bucks, and you can own a shirt and a hat. So and there it is. And That's there a it pretty is. good deal. We, we, want, we want you to wear the stuff. We want you to. Give the stuff to those that you might uh, think might appreciate it. Cheap, so. Cheapest hat and T-shirt combo at DEF CON. Right, right. And it's really all you need in Vegas. It's just the hat and the T-shirt, and you're right. good to go. As long as the T-shirt's somewhat long enough. Uh, or right. You know what? I'm not going to go there. We don't judge. On the lines don't, remotely, don't judge. Mr. Joff Thayer is here with us with a, 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 a super secret science experiment under that sheet in the back. I don't want to know, or do I? I don't know. You know what? Don't tell me. That's right. Let's, let's not talk about the science experiment in the back, but... Uh, Yes, I am here. It's Thursday, and I have missed you, Paul. Man, it's I missed uh, you. I missed you too. Yeah, maybe um, the the top of the next segment. Uh, if I'm still, I may have to run because my my wife broke her ankle, and my dad passed away all in the same week. As as many uh, of you know, it's if been you crazy. Follow, right? it's been a crazy, uh, crazy week. But uh, so she's still home. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on in my house, with a severely broken ankle that required surgery. So. Uh, that's why everyone else is is here, ready to cover in case I got to run, because uh, I may have to because yeah, she and, might and actually please lose it. Don't run, walk. Yeah, because you know yeah, both you, of us being I, down no, is yeah. really bad. Uh, well, you, your your story kind of reminded me of, uh, and I won't mention her by name, but one of the uh, Sands staff in Europe uh, this year while I was there. Uh, on the very first day she was there, uh, I think she uh, got in, had a, had a bit of a late night and uh, got into one of those old hotel tubs. And those old hotel tubs in Europe are kind of high. Mm-hmm. And um, did the same thing. Totally fell over and busted her ankle just horribly. So it's uh, not an injury that you want. It's no, no fun. Um, Very painful. But, so, but uh, Joff yeah. can grow you a new one under that under the sheet. He's so yes. alien right. my, genetic my, material. My alien science experiment. In fact, I've got so many various and sundry science experiments happening back here. I mean, anything could happen at any moment is what it, it comes to. Speaking down. of alien science experiments, Lee Neely is here <laughs> with us. 
He works in a lab somewhere that I think probably has many of those experiments, and it looks like you're still maybe at that place where you work. Yes, I'm. I, I, I am. I am at. I am at the uh, the nuclear weapons lab in, in Livermore. We've done lots of science experiments. Once upon a time, to study radiation, we had cows, cows with windows in the side of them, so we could see how their insides were working. It was really weird. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I, I love all yeah. that stuff though. Yeah. I love the awesome. science experiments and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, cows I with windows. I, heard, I wonder how much I the cows like that. Lee, Lee say cows. Did I? Did he say cows? Yes, cows. yes. with windows. With, a, with windows. With a plexiglass window oh, on the side. Yeah. Yes, oh, ple plexiglass. See, I was going to say Windows XP, Windows ninety five. Oh. <laughs> well, I think it was Windows for work groups, but <laughs> it's okay. Three point one days. Activate uh, cow now. <laughs> windows one point Here we go. <laughs> going to have to it, reboot your cow. When it, it when it blue screens, does it make blue milk? Is that oh, like a thing? That's, right. oh. that's how they get it. That's how they get the, the blue milk uh, from the blue screen. Oh, my galaxy you'd want to drink that blue milk. Oh, oh and, and what ha what happens when you DLL inject that cow? Oh. <laughs> oh. He's, he's going back There's to his a whole. Anyway, we're going to move Australian on. Days Security here. Weekly is going to be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia, October 10th through the 11th. EC Council is offering our listeners a 15% off discount to sit in for any of their boot camp courses or workshops. You can visit securityweekly.com forward slash hacker halted. Ben Tens here with us. He's been working in technology and development for over 20 years. I don't think you're old enough to be working. Were you like 11 when you started working? And yeah, 11, last year. I'm, I'm, <laughs> last year. I have to he, say, he was 11 last year. Yeah, I last do year. have to say, so, though, like, our know, latest developer. I started, is, I started in the womb. You there know, you go. Like, there you know, you they go. have the, the USB ports. They have cows with windows, but my mom had a USB port. So it worked out oh. well. Our developer's 15, so I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing against you, uh, and he's doing <laughs> swimmingly. Uh, no, working I, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old, so it's like a few months, and I'll be 40. Well, so. well, Ben, good to that, that. You know, that's great because you don't look a day over 12. No, like legit, that's a blessing, dude. Like that's yeah. awesome. I mean, you must you get carded a lot, and that must suck. But the worst part I mean, the, is shopping for clothes because not only <laughs> am I just small. Like, I'm thin, so I actually have to go to the kids' section. So here I am, oh. a 40-year-old dude, walking around holding shorts up against me, like kids' shorts, <laughs> I'm holding them up against me. Awkward. And the moms are like... <clears throat> yeah, and the, uh, and, and the, the shopping assistants are coming up and coming up to you and going, is your mother here? Yeah. I was at a model rocket event, and I was there with my two boys, and he was over with another family that didn't know us, and we they were getting, I don't know if you know model rockets, but it starts at AA and then moves all the way up through the alphabet. Well, they were getting ready to launch a uh, K rocket, which is huge. And so I'm like, hey, come on over, come over. And they're like, hey, your brother's calling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my son. Oh, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that's awesome. Well, at Dude. least you've embraced it, you know? I mean, you got to yeah, embrace it. And it's yeah. Okay. And, and just think, next year when you're 41, you'll grow a chest hair. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> but but I gotta warn you, Ben Nine looks like Jack Daniels, so it was. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It comes on fast. What I, yeah, I tell so my kids, a lot of the lessons they learn are from Star Wars, and of course, Master Yoda said, "Size matters not." Right. That's true. That's right. That's true. A lot of good lessons that's from Star the, Wars. That's, that's not it. what she that's said. It. 
and, and, I, give, and give Ben two more years, he'll look just like Master Yoda. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm growing down as I get through there. Like, you know, like everyone shrinks as I get older. I'm like, I really don't have much room to shrink here. Uh, you know, like when, when I'm at the airport and like I want a magazine, it's on the top shelf. And I actually have to ask somebody to help me get the magazine off the top shelf. Like, oh. And when you yeah. sit in the emergency exit row. So yeah, you, ha so you have to be 15 row. years old to sit here. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten that. And then, uh, you know, I've even had, uh, I was, I dropped off a rental car and got on a bus and the bus driver to take us to the airport. He was like, do you need me to call ahead and have one of the flight attendants come and help you? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I, is she cute? Is she cute? Uh, I mean, remember you have to, you have to protect that picture and painting in the attic. Don't let anybody see it or the gigs up. That's there true. you go. So for more Ben 10 roasting, you can go to trustedsec.com forward slash security weekly and you can leave your, your roast for Ben for Ben there. I'll take them all because I'll probably put them into a talk or something like that. So I, I would do that at DerbyCon. They would do a, a, a Photoshop contest of me. And my favorite one was um, where they uh, – uh, uh, oh, my goodness, my brain's uh, – Vladimir Putin was holding up a little baby <laughs> and – Photoshopped my face as the baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> to scale. You know, yeah. So to scale, yes, yes. Yeah, they didn't yeah. really have to shrink it too much. <laughs> Wow. So, so the, tr the truth about all the roasting is, of course, we're all just completely envious, right? Totally. <laughs> yeah, because like we look Parents old and Ben doesn't. That's the the, the <laughs> joke is on us. Like, the problem is, it's like when I when I'm actually old enough to like get senior discounts, they're gonna be like, no, you can't yeah, yeah, have ten percent off, and like you know I'm never gonna get a better to be that it's way. Just never gonna happen. And look young, so. Uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, yo, well, <laughs> other than poor Ben, like I, roasting poor I think, Ben. I think the first <laughs> one. I, I think it's all good. Yeah, I, I think the the first one is Ben. Tell us how you got your start in information security. So that's a great question. I I started honestly when I was uh, thirteen, uh, writing computer for software. I found out that I could tell a computer what to do, so I started it, and then I immediately went into viruses. So we wrote a <laughs> bunch of viruses, me and my friend. Uh, to, you know, because that was the obvious next step and so did it that got into it was doing development and uh got to the point of where i was a vice president of information systems at a corporation and we had uh, a physical break-in and this was back you know well before like hipaa and all this other stuff and so we had a physical break-in and stole a couple of computers but i had already had like TrueCrypt when it was popular uh back then i already had it on there so it wasn't a big deal but i we brought in a forensics company and they did a bunch of forensic stuff, which I had never seen before. And so I shoulder surfed him and then learned everything and uh, tried to find a you know conference that I could go to. And that was actually the first year of DerbyCon. And I knew nobody. I didn't oh, know wow. anybody or anything. And uh, even went up to Dave Kennedy uh, and I had no idea who he was. And I'm like, do you know who's actually running this? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm Dave Kennedy. And I'm like, who? And then he's like, <laughs> <laughs> upset. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so it was a weird and awkward first impression with Dave Kennedy. Uh, so then the following years, I just started volunteering. Uh, really, I just I didn't know much. So I volunteered at B-Side Chicago, uh, did uh, some work with the B-Sides, uh, uh, multi-cities, capture the flag, uh, volunteered at DerbyCon and just worked and then just, you know, tried to learn as much as I could. And then eventually got to uh, do some penetration testing and vulnerability management with a company up in Michigan. 
And then uh, Dave brought me over about four years ago. So I've been doing that ever since. And and, and in those four years, now you, you're you uh, lead for defense and countermeasures? Yep, yep. So I'm now the lead for our defense and countermeasures. Uh, that kind of came from, I started as just a, you know, internal, external, pen tester, web app type of stuff. And uh, this was before like MITRE and everything else came out, but we wanted to offer something uh, that was for both sides. I, I came from defensive world. Uh, I spent 13 years as a defender and I knew, I knew what the defense looks like and I learned a lot of the offense, but I realized that the two were always fighting against each other and it was always an us versus them. Uh, you know, when the pen tester comes in, he basically calls your baby ugly and then they get upset and then they're fighting and that's not really helping anybody. And so, uh, working with Dave and Martin, we decided to come up with this uh, purple team and it, that term has been thrown around. Uh, but what we wanted, it was a real one where you actually have red in the room, blue in the room, and it's not so much us versus them. It's like, okay, I ran this attack. Can you see it? And then if you can't, how do you write the detection for it? And so we kind of built an entire thing off of, uh, you know, that whole offering. And then so now it's become so popular that they needed us to have a full team for it. So they made me the team lead for defense and countermeasures. I'm still doing pen testing and I still break into stuff, but uh, my primary focus is making sure that that, you know, piece is updated and new attacks are added and new detections are added, um, you know, the whole cat and mouse game. Great. So when when you're talking purple team, is it uh, uh, when pe lots of people in the industry throw that purple team thing around and is is the purple team training? Is it an assessment? Is it a pen test? Yes. Is it a collaborative effort? Is yes. it all of the above? Are there different flavors? So, so it's it's really all of the above, and the thing is, it's not a pen test, and that's the one thing that I clarify. We're not going to go in. We're not following PTES. We're not following some methodology. It, it's it's really DV autophone is really what we're doing. We throw everything at it all at the same time, and we're like, what can what sticks? What can you see? What can't you see? And then we work through, you know, the different attacks that were done, and we're like, okay, we want to see this lateral credential spray. You know, we want to see this weak credential harvest. We want to see this Kerberos SPN query. We want to see the fact that you're doing uh, Kerberos token authentication by mess. Like, we want to see all of these different things. And so uh, it's it's training and education. And oftentimes we'll have it to where they can see both the attacker screen as well as the screen for their sim. And we can, like, this is what this attack looks like. This is what an attacker will do. And uh, we have, uh, like for the initial part, we have, like, 45 different attacks that use zero exploits. So fully patched systems, it doesn't really make much of a difference. Uh, you know, if I'm a local user or if I've dropped a box or I spearfish you, that initial vector doesn't really matter uh, because I really don't care how you got in. You got in. Uh, I more care about what you do after you get in. And so we build a lot of that that training i guess you could say off of okay let's i'm in you hired me as you know junior intern because i looked the part and so now i'm on <laughs> and you've given me credentials understand what i could do with a set of basic user credentials and this is the way that i would do it so we build detections all along those attack paths to try and identify some of that behavior now, right? Ben, the, w the way i think of it i've been doing a lot of software development lately that really has very little to do with security, and I'm going to implement a lot of security sub-projects into what I'm doing and share them with them on the show, but 
to get to that point, I have to do a lot of traditional software development. When I think of purple teaming, I think of it as almost like the developer's unit testing is merging with, to use another development term, right? The QA team's QA testing, and we're working together to conduct tests, to measure those tests, to look at the outcome of those tests, to make improvements and continue that process. But taking that outside of the setting of software and putting in that in the setting of testing your infrastructure, right? Does yeah, that really absolutely. for you kind of help, uh, you know, define what we're talking about with Purple Team? Yeah, absolutely. And I was a developer first and foremost before I was IT. So like mm -hmm. that, you know, you're definitely speaking my language and that's it right there. And what's, what's amazing to see is when you get both teams in the room and everyone gets to learn from each other, because if you're always red and that's all you do and you always do red, you you don't necessarily know what defense is doing. And in the same perspective, if you're always doing defense and you're not actually learning what red's doing, then you're not really understanding the attacker me mentality of what they're trying to accomplish because it, there's one thing to do like patch management and bottle things up and whatever, but the business still has to business. And so what we want the blue team to understand is if I'm an attacker, I'm not going to run a bone scan right out the door. I'm not going to spray MS-17010. I'm not going to do these types of things. And so we, we do this as an education piece. And what's amazing to see is the blue team finally understand, okay, I may not fully understand what Kerberos query is doing, but now I understand what the attacker is trying to do with that. And now I understand what this detection actually means. And it's, it's a really neat experience for both, for both teams. What, what I find interesting in testing software uh, that I had not really done in a long time was writing unit tests and how that evolved. And I think that really is a, a great parallel into purple mm -hmm. teaming, right? So when I have this application that I'm writing, I saw examples of, like when you do unit tests, if you're doing, let's say, object-oriented style programming, basically when you write your unit tests, like I always thought of those as a red teamer, right? Because that was my mentality. Like it's an external thing. I'm going to access the web app. I'm going to fuzz stuff. What it, I had never really considered and built into the process was, well, hey, when I'm writing code, I can make instances of objects and, and do that in a unit testing fashion. In other words, when I want to test how I create a new user, sure, I could write some fuzzing tests that tried all kinds of stuff of SQL injection and cross-site scripting, but before I do that, I want to, inside of my code, just make a new user object mm -hmm. and then test all kinds of different scenarios inside my code. And I want to mm -hmm. run those every time I make a code change. I want to run those. I want to create a new user mm -hmm. inside of my own system and see where it fails, right? And then it, once I fix all those bugs, when I put it out there, just by nature, it ends up being more resilient. And I really feel like purple teaming is, is the same, sort of, is the same yeah. sort of thing. I want to take what I've built, right? I want to go to the inside. I want to say, yeah, go create these new attacks like on the inside and just run through a bunch of them and tell me where I failed, fix my stuff so that when an attacker has an external view of that, it's a lot more resilient. I mean, it's essentially the crux and, of what we're talking about. And there's, there's about. been, yeah. down through history, there's been a lot of instances of this in programming. It wasn't called yeah. purple teaming, but right. they did the same thing as they were trying to figure out, because originally there was one person sitting there coding, <coughs> and they Excuse often me. didn't have the right perspective. 
on how the code developed or how it was going to be used right. or implemented. And people realized that it was really interesting to have, and, and I have different feelings about different things, being one yeah. of those lone solo programmers, but, you know, bringing HR or a user group or whatever to the table while people were developing code diagrams ended up being pretty useful because yeah. programmers didn't think about their code the way users thought about their code. Right. It's, and it's that's essential the same kind of concept. process. Yeah, because the <laughs> users agree. are sitting there going, why would you do this? You know, and you're like, I don't know, it's just the way everybody does it, you know. And, yeah. and even in software context, right, like user acceptance testing, I think is a huge, yes. A, a huge component that is often missed when we go into DevOps and we're developing so fast, we forget that like, hey, let the user test the stuff and like see what they find yeah. because I, I've yeah. been developing since code, since in software since I was seven, right? And like, you just can't think of every scenario about how the user is going to use it. They have to be involved. And, and programmers are just as bad about this. Uh, ben 10 said, you know, like, uh, like I said, your baby's ugly. And programmers yeah. are the same way. When somebody comes in and goes, this is the stupidest way to do this imaginable. Like, why do I need to do these f 15 keystrokes to do a common task? And the programmers are always like, because, because that's the way I coded it. Right. That's right. And, you yeah. know, I, I was in that presentation meeting once, and the guy literally said that. He's like, because I coded it like that. Do it. You know, and you're like, uh, okay, we'll not buy your product. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the same <laughs> problem, you know. And It is. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was hoping to ask Ben a, a sequential uh, yeah. question. Um, do it. Uh so, um, purple teaming, um, we do this uh, in various inca incantations as well at Black Hills. But the, the question I have for you is, does purple teaming always start up sequentially as, as if it is a red team and then kind of move towards purple in your experience? So, so we did not design them that way, and we did it intentionally. A, a, a true red team is going to be low and slow you know, we're going to do everything we can to avoid detection. We're going to impersonate somebody. We're going to, the, the point is to try and avoid all detections altogether. And that red team is more for that initial vector, right? So when you're doing right. the red team, it, uh, if it's on a spearfish, uh, if it's a fishing campaign, you're, you're crafting one to maybe five emails on a, on a true red that you're specifically targeting. You're spending, you know, weeks if not months of research on it. Uh, so the, and then and then like if they get in, you may only have a single attack path that they've were successful with because they spent most of all their time on doing the research and uh, developing the campaign or developing the exploit or even uh, you know building a new uh, electronical component to bypass the security system. Yeah. So you may only get a single attack path with that scenario. So that would be okay. And you could definitely build detections around that. But the point of our purples is not necessarily that it's a red team and then a blue team. It's red and blue at the same time. And so that's part of the reason that I, you know, I kind of said that, you know, our red team is more of a DB autophone. We're like, we're going to launch 15 of these different attacks all at the same time. And we're going to see what sticks and what doesn't. Right. And so it's more yeah. of just and, and then more importantly running it all at the same time. And then what sticks and what doesn't, and which ones did you detect and which ones you didn't? And now let's go fix the problem together. Yeah, and yeah, that's so it that's... exactly. And and we'll and even if we've done an engagement like a purple team for a company, we'll come back the next year and we'll rerun those again because you know as everyone knows, like you make you know as Paul was saying earlier, you know you make a change to code, you want to rerun those unit tests, you want to mm -hmm. rerun that purple team because you guys could have implemented something. Uh, that uh, 
completely broke the detection or, you know, made, made a misconfiguration. Uh, you know, I saw one time where they had all of their Cisco ICE rules set up and there was a NAC, it was a NAC solution and they had all of the rules set up and everything was great. And, you know, uh, I come in and I bypass the NAC and they're like, wait, I don't understand. You know, you couldn't do it last year. I'm like, I don't know. I just did. Uh, only to find out that the rules didn't transfer uh, completely over to a different model of the Cisco uh, uh, NAC solution that they had. Like yeah, it was and Ben, like I think some of that was just slightly off and I was able to bypass it this time, whereas last year I wasn't. And Ben, I think regression testing is something that needs to step outside of that traditional software developer mindset. And I think those of us that have that developer mindset are mindful of that as we go through our IT careers. Like whatever we are implementing, we get that concept of regression testing. In other words, for those that may not be like familiar, let me try and define it, right? Like I've written a whole bunch of software and I want to fix a bug or implement a new feature or change the code in any way. And I do that. It was ingrained in like my DNA that because I had great mentors as I was a software developer that they said, look, anytime you make a change, test how it. do you test it? Because how do you know how that or if that impacted some functionality in the application, right? That's right. As yeah. infrastructure becomes more like software and code, it's so much more important now that we think of regression testing. And that is, as Ben's describing, anytime we make a change to any kind of security control, we have to regression test and say, how does that impact every other scenario, every other piece of basically regression testing is more about functionality than than other kinds of scenarios, how does that impact functionality? When it changes a piece of code, however innocuous it might be, it might be the notification system for your, for your software, but if I make that change there, hey, if it dies there, we just ran into a situation today where like, thankfully notifications were at the end of the publishing process, but like if that breaks, then everything stops. Now fortunately for us, in this case it was at the end, but what if there were notifications, which you as a developer may think are, eh, whatever, innocuous. However, if you crash at a notification and everything stops and you don't do something after that, it could be bad. Regression testing needs to make sure that every change does not negatively impact any functionality. Does that no, I think that, that, summarize that's exactly it? Right. Yeah, right? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I, I was sort of thinking around the um, the branding aspect um, because you know we do a similar thing at Black Hills, but we just don't call it the same thing. Um, you could call it a, uh, um, a purple team, um, but, but ultimately, uh, I think the, the real thing that comes out is a purple team is a collaborative exercise, and it's kind yes. of a scientific experiment as well. You yeah. know, you, you, you're deliberately testing controls, and, and you can the, – the nice part about it, if you have a solid methodology, which I'm absolutely sure TrustedSec does, is that you can reiterate that methodology year on year and get the customer kind of an improvement measure, which is – really a useful right. thing to be able to do yeah. now of course that's notwithstanding that techniques are going to change there's going to be advances in the information security industry in the ways that we can uh, potentially break into things and 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 exploit things those have to be accommodated for but it does give our customers a, a really good measurable and and something that they can they can map back to their metrics for success which is, I think, is a really critically important thing because any time we can measure in the industry uh, is is a good time. I mean, it gives it is very constructive feedback 
back to the sea level, back to the board. It's 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 really important yeah, stuff. Lee, it looks like you have a question there, but uh, I, I want to you know jump right in on something that that Joff said there, um, in that you know the whole testing environment is an evolution. So Ben, when 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 you guys are in working with some of uh, some of your customers and you do the the the, the forty five attacks all at the same time and you're you're at a point in the engagement where they can now detect all 45 attacks. What's next? And I see this as like the evolution of the red team is that you need to evolve your tactics to be more silent. And then are, are, can we now go and become more silent and uh, attempt to detect those as well? Yeah, so and that's a great thing about it is that I do both, you know, obviously pen testing. I, I'm not nearly as uh, fluent in the red team as some of our other guys. Like we have some really crazy red team guys. Uh, but I'll do red teams and I'll do the internals and everything else like that. And I've actually pen tested a company where I did a purple team. And so that's awkward, right? Because you want to be successful uh, on both sides. But like, if you're successful on the pen test after the purple team, then you're like, wait, did what? I mess one of these up? <laughs> or was so I, or, or am I better than I thought I was? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, so like, it's awkward. Yeah. Uh, so, but the, 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 the evolution there is the, there are going to be some pieces that, uh, like when you go to the red team, if I'm on an environment, uh, I'm going to, if I know that they've got a really good defense or anything else like that, I'm actually going to avoid a lot of the, uh, the, the, the basic stuff like password spraying or, uh, you know, lateral movements in the similar fashions. And I'm going to use a lot of stuff that's not necessarily, uh, as maybe as, reliable or fast. Uh, I've actually been on an engagement where I had to uh, hand write uh, using, uh, 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 you know, one of their in, in house utilities, uh, a, a new thing. And I actually basically compiled my own little thing within their environment to actually do some of the LDAP queries that I couldn't do because I didn't want to use the normal net user to dump all the users. I wanted to do something different. Um, now, uh, the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of times we won't actually get through all 45 in a single engagement just because that's a lot to sure. do. It's a lot sure. to go over. So uh, it takes multiple engagements for us to actually get through a lot of these. Um, but we do have some, you know, some clients that are better than others. And so then what we do is we introduce uh, some of the more obscure stuff, the stuff that actually gets into uh, more network packet inspection and that type of thing. Uh, and then we look at, uh, you know, obviously a lot of this is going to be very Windows heavy at, out the door, but we do have, you know, like we're going to go over and look at the Linux stuff now. We're going to look at the web services now. We're going to also go look at, uh, you know, uh, if you have a Max in your environment, uh, there's a lot of Apple scripts uh, stuff. And as uh, you guys mentioned earlier, like with the Zoom, uh, taking control of your camera and that type of stuff. So we want to, we would want to continue to look at the different operating systems and the different components that you have there. But when we look at some of the more advanced, you know, C2 environments and that type of stuff, they're becoming much more harder to detect. But uh, I read an article from Microsoft and the guy put it very eloquently. Um, you may be invisible, but you give some signs. Like uh, if you're invisible and it's cold outside, you're still going to see your breath. You're still going to see footprints in the snow or whatever the case may be. Like you, you may be invisible, but you don't necessarily go without leaving a mark and a lot of the stuff that we see when we develop a lot of this stuff you know we do take into consideration or like if we're going to use this you know what is the proper way of actually detecting it um uh, kerberos is a good example of one where when it initially was released 
uh, for querying the SPNs, there really wasn't a lot of reliable detection of that. Uh, monitoring Kerberos logs is incredibly difficult. It's spammy, it's noisy, it's obnoxious. Uh, most organizations don't even turn on that monitoring because there's so much of it and their licensing doesn't allow it. Uh, so, you know, at the beginning part, there this, there was no real control for Kerberos. I mean, you could turn off Kerberos and the function, you know, the business couldn't function anymore. So that would be okay, I guess. But, you know, that was not necessarily an option. And so we really didn't have a fix. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, a little bit later that I realized that there was a way to actually detect uh, that uh, Kerberos SPN uh, query. Uh, but then, you know, here we are now. Now we've got a Kerberos uh, ticket uh, authentication bypass, which is, it's not past the ticket. It's a, it's a different thing. Instead of it uh, doing the ticket to LSAS, you actually spin up your own version of LSAS and it sends it to you. So that way uh, you control everything that's going on and then you generate the ticket. So it's like a, it's like a bypass of that. So it kind of defeats a lot of the detections that go with there. But there are still other ways of looking at, okay, well, this is going to be one of your indicators that this, you know, controls on the place. So that's part of the reason that it's so important, you know, to your point, Larry, of like, once you've learned it all, or once you've detected, you know, everything that we have, like, what's next? Well, I mean, there's so much out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know it all. And so there's always that, okay, well, now let's learn this attack. And what does this look like? And can we actually write a detection for it? Lee, did you have a question? Yeah, I did. So one of the things I do a lot of here in my day job is we work on testing security significant changes to make sure that we haven't left the barn door open. And one of the questions I, I, I come up against and I wanted your take on is how do you know if you've tested enough versus too much um, and when you're just kind of spitballing, which you're not going to find any more? I mean, does that make sense? How do you know what's good enough? You know you left the barn door open when you feel the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, so the, the, to answer your question, is there ever, you know, is there, are you ever at a point where you're 100%? And the answer is no. Uh, it, you're always going to be testing. You're always, you know, changes happen every year. Uh, I've worked with teams where, you know, they had people leave, their defensive team and new people came in um, and I've had, you know, some of these new people, uh, you know, delete uh, the queries that I wrote for them. Um, and I come back the next year and they had no detections of which we had last year. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, well, uh, this rule wasn't generating any alerts. So we deleted it. I'm like, well, that's actually means that's a good thing. Uh, that, that's, that means that there's not a bad guy there. So, you know, th that type of thing. So, uh, there's always going to be that. I mean, we're human. We make changes. We make mistakes. So, uh, you know, even if you test the same thing, it's still going to be viable. Um, the thing about it is, is that when we look at when we look at some of this stuff, and I think what you may be alluding to is what I would call a whack-a-mole defense. And what ends up happening is, is that you get the news article, you see something that's out there, and immediately that becomes the new hot thing. And so everyone runs after that and they whack it and try and get it resolved. And they're like, we've got to get eyes on this. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that that's where everyone's focus goes. Uh, a lot of times what ends up happening is, is that there's so much focus and so much resources applied to all the new hotness that they miss a lot of the basic stuff 
that even that new hotness would use. So let's say let's MS seventeen zero one zero is a great example, right? It's Eternal Blue. Uh, it's great. It's the new MSO eight zero six seven. The fact of the matter is, even if I use Eternal Blue, once I'm on a box, I still have to do the basic same stuff if I want to laterally move, unless I'm just going to be content on that one box. And so when we build a lot of our purple teams, we build it without that initial vector as being a limiter. We don't really care how you got in. We don't care if it was Eternal Blue. We don't care if you use Kerberos. We don't care if you are a valid user on our network and you legitimately should be on the network. Uh, we don't care. We just want to identify what that behavior looks like. And what that does is that allows us to not necessarily have every little thing covered. Uh, yes, we may miss a initial vector or a zero day that's out there, for sure. I mean, there's no question to that. No one can honestly say that they're ready for August past Tuesday. Like, they just they can't because Baptists aren't here. Right. So, But we know that there are zero days out there. And so we know that those zero days are, are there because, I mean, it was even an article that Microsoft was working on two patches for two critical ones. So, so the point then is when we build these detections and the, the, the defensive piece, it's we're like, let's not focus so much on the individual vectors. Let's look at what happens after and see if we can identify that. Not to say yeah. we ignore the initial vector. It's just that our focus becomes, let's more look at, you know, the fact that they're already in. Yeah. So, Does that so, so, answer your question? Yeah, so, uh, that was, so that was Lee's question. But I think what you're really saying is don't worry about so much in some of these cases about the initial vector because it's all just about the stupid users anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I oh, think, you know, see, you I shouldn't have baited me uh, like that. You shouldn't have baited me like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, I hate. I absolutely hate that term. I really. I want to. I want to throw in. I, like, I just want to throw in. There's no comment. easier way to trigger me than to use that. <laughs> see, you shouldn't have baited me like that on the pre-setup call. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> He's a I master baiter. I, I just oh, want to throw in a comment. I, the the um I, another way of saying I think what Ben was just saying is. <laughs> is post-exploitation attacker behavior matters more than tools and techniques necessarily uh, because you know for, for too many years um, I think a lot of the defensive software particularly you know focused on particular tools particular uh, things that were being thrown down on the system but but ultimately the behaviors are going to be the same once you get into a post-exploitation context, that attacker is going to try to get some sort of local and or domain privilege escalation. That attacker is going to try to laterally move in the environment. The attacker is going to try to exfiltrate data from that environment. And then that behavior is going to be a pattern that's going to repeat over and over and over again. And so if you focus your defenses on looking at the, the sort of behavioral approach, you're always going to be better off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, that also leads into the, some of the, what was behind the question is, how do you wind up asking the right question, checking the right, checking the critical things without boiling the ocean? I'm not trying for 100%. I know there's no such thing, but when some I've come, I've had somebody sub submit a significant a security scrutiny change to me, and when I ask them, well, how do you think we're going to test this to make sure it's done right, and they give me the the null set back, that's that's not good. So having a mindset to approach it. It's a great coaching tool, so you can then, because I don't want to just have, tell them this is what we're going to do. I want them to think about how they might get exploited and to approach the problem. So that I'm trying to teach them to fish uh, at, with an F, not a PH. 
Um, so anyway, <laughs> it was a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And so, so Ben, you know, that brings me to to some of our other stuff about you know going into a a, a purple team and you know uh, avoiding some of that detection and and. and Turns out you've you've made some tools and and some of those types of things to help well one detect and to to avoid some detection, uh, and, and you know lots of sort of follow on with with some of those types of stuff. Uh, and and I think one of the the ones that I remember seeing you speak about at DerbyCon, uh, if I remember correctly, was uh, NPM. NPS. Yeah. NPS. Yeah. Not right. PowerShell. Yeah. Not PowerShell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Uh, sorry, and, uh, sorry, I was do, I was doing that's NPM. Okay. I was doing NPM updates this morning, so that's why it stuck. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. So if you just replace NPM with NPS, you're it'll be so much faster. Wait, what is NPM? <laughs> NPM is Node Package Manager, right? Node, yes. Node JS. Yep. And what is NPS? Not ben, PowerShell. Ben, yeah, ben. is not, what PowerShell? It's not PowerShell. Not, not PowerShell. PowerShell. So, it, so this is the way this came about. I was on an engagement and uh, I had access to a box and uh, to avoid a lot of detections, uh, I have a you know developer background, so PowerShell was really easy for me. Uh, so I would write everything within PowerShell, and I was using PowerShell to do you know Kerberos ticket stuff and uh, lateral movement, obfuscation, exfiltration. I even wrote like uh, my horrible version of Nmap in the PowerShell. And so I'm like doing everything I can, you know, going around there and I update the, the client and what's going on. And, uh, they're like, Oh, well you shouldn't have had PowerShell on there. Uh, that was, that was our mistake and everything else. I'm like, well, well don't change anything now. Let me see how far I can go. And, uh, and all of a sudden the screen bleeped and uh, I was like, what? <laughs> and so then I try and launch PowerShell and said, this has been disabled by your system administrator. And I'm like, okay, so, to uh, demonstrate that it wasn't necessarily that that the, that what they did for the defense wasn't necessarily enough to stop me, I wrote not PowerShell and I rebuilt all my tools in not PowerShell. And so then I just released the tool just to show like you know PowerShell.exe isn't it doesn't actually stop you from using PowerShell.exe. It's a bunch of uh, DLL libraries and everything else like that. So uh, it was more of to demonstrate like you know. Oftentimes, you know, trying to go after a single binary doesn't necessarily mean that you solve oh, the problem. So you just and renamed. Red team. Sorry, but you just renamed the binaries in the DLLs. It was still PowerShell, but it wasn't PowerShell.exe. No, well, or did you write it in some other language that ran on top of Windows or both? Yeah, so in C Sharp, you can actually call uh, the PowerShell DLL, mm -hmm. yeah. and then you can create the environment and do everything within that, and then pass controls to it. So that's really all I did. I think not PowerShell, maybe 30 lines of code, and that's about it. So uh, you basically wrote a loader for PowerShell. That's it. Yeah. And that's all That's all PowerShell.exe is anyway. It's that's, just a loader. I mean, yeah, PowerShell.exe, yeah, yeah. right. all it does is load those DLLs. It's sure. really just the same exact thing as what I just did. <laughs> Yeah. So, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> cool. Ben, to one of the, the the other questions that I asked you know, or, or earlier when we were we were chatting uh, the other day, um, you know, NPS would be one of those great things you could use in an environment where PowerShell is highly really, highly restricted. And, and my question to you was like, <laughs> what do you do when you go into an environment where PowerShell is really restricted? And your response was. I, I haven't really seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is. I, I really haven't. Yeah. And. And that's actually not surprising. Right. Uh, if you look at uh, Windows Server 2016 and Nano Server, like you can't 
you can't manage those without PowerShell. Now, does everyone in your organization need PowerShell? No, absolutely not. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, your defense shouldn't be no PowerShell. Uh, that's just not, it's not practical, it's not future ready, it's not wise. And uh, it, with the latest versions of PowerShell, they actually put a lot of security controls baked into it, which is actually really nice. Yeah, because uh, but, but it, it depends on how you use PowerShell, right? Sure. Like your, yeah. the way you as Ben might be using PowerShell is fundamentally very different from the way an administrator would use PowerShell. The better defensive that I've, that I've seen Look at how PowerShell right. is being invoked, when it's being invoked, it. what it's calling, yeah. and going, that's anomalous, right? That's and that's it right there. Especially when like PowerShell all of a sudden is dialing out to some, you know, internet resource or to a local box or yeah. loading certain functions or whatever. Uh, one of the things that we do is we look at also uh, like length of commands, the uh, number of special characters. Uh, Daniel Bohannon wrote a great tool called Invoke Obfuscation, and it basically takes a, a simple PowerShell command and it just obfuscates it, makes it look like junk. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things that we did was uh, we noticed one of the obfuscation techniques adds a lot of commas mm -hmm. uh, to the command, and so we wrote a detection for both Windows commands and PowerShell that may have more than you know 10, 15 commas. And I actually called it comma 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 chameleon. Oh. <laughs> oh, nice. How do you even know? You're not even old enough to know about that song. I gotta add that to my '80s playlist. Oh, Every once in a while, I get I get into the '80s playlist, and I played like a Tears for Fears like inspired like like playlist. Paul has a whole persona where he's got the hair from Flock of Seagulls and everything. I say, yeah. I'm very musically diverse. Yeah. He left it at home I, today, though. Yeah, no, he, he didn't bring it. The family but... doesn't appreciate the the '80s playlist. Oh, uh, see, yeah. our family would totally appreciate it because that's all we listen to. I like it every once in a while. I think it's good but in any case uh but but powershell aside ben there's other techniques like if you didn't have powershell at all right i mean there's ways to get windows systems to interpret javascript right to interpret python like there's other ways right yeah and, and what we're actually finding is is that we're looking and we're seeing like vb script is actually still pretty yeah. successful right like if the language doesn't matter i guess that leaves yeah. defenders looking for behavior rather than an invocation of a specific well, we, language. We used, we used to do that on the mainframe a long time ago. Uh, you say that a lot. This is a famous Doug yeah. quote. Yeah, a long time. Back in the mainframe, uh, we used to do this. Right after we <laughs> shoveled the coal into the mainframe <laughs> to get it dead and going and blew the steam whistle a couple of times. <laughs> and we had, we had to enter 10, 20 hexadecimal codes to boot it <laughs> That's up. That's right. Uh, we, we had usernames made of hexadecimal <laughs> machine language. Our punch cards. Hey, you kids today don't know. But we, we did used to write a lot of After you IPL'd, right? I call them, well, I call them behavior. Yes. <laughs> I, call, I call them behavioral scripts that just literally watched for users who were typing, like you say, complex things, yeah. long things, and, and started to categorize users on the system because I wanted to put people on my shit list of people who shouldn't be doing certain things because most people but did very I, I similar things. I would argue, things. Doug, that much of the security we're talking about in this context is about categorizing behavior. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's exactly absolutely. that's what I'm yeah. saying. I mean, and we were doing that. I yeah. mean, like I say, I was trying to figure out who should I put on this list of users who really should be typing really simple things. Sure. And instead, you know, here's somebody in marketing who suddenly types this big long string or they type some commands. They like, why is that person running that command? 
And then you knew they were somebody you might want to keep an eye on, and we, we actually started logging them more heavily. Or there's someone that's taken over that persona. Yep. Like, why is a, you know, this I, you user know, I, of marketing I, running a 50-line exactly. bash script for exactly? You know, why reason, do they? Right? Why are all they, on one line? Right? Or even yeah. just people I, that were I, modifying I, their their bash shell, uh, their equivalent yeah. of their bash shell code. Right. They were modifying. I'm like, why would they know how to do that and even be considering it? Because you saw people adding like paths. Mm-hmm. to their you yeah. know their log on and I'm like why on earth would they know how to do this and why would they be doing it and and just those kind of little basic hack things that people learned and they became targeted users for us that we were watching because we knew that's that's the person who's going to be a risk these other people are probably not going to do that so I like mm-hmm. I like that idea very much mm-hmm. the comma comma I, I, comma I, chameleon I think I think what Doug is actually trying to say is he is the original sys operator from hell. That's right. It was based on me. Bastard operator from hell. He is. But, Joff. I'll, yes. but I'll tell you, like the d- database admins and those sys operators, especially the Longbeards, you t- you even look at their database wrong, they know about it. Like yep. I could be all across the entire environment, have DA doing all this stuff. I just do one thing to like, you know, a, a mid range or a d- database admin and detections yeah. left and right. And it's because the dude knows what's supposed to happen you know, on that You know computer. what's interesting? I, I think that having sysadmins that really know their shit is one of the pillars of security. Yeah. Regardless of the oh, technology, no regardless of the yep. platform, yep. you got sysadmins that know their shit. Dude, like security-wise, you're in a much better place. And that, that was people the, who were thinking like hackers before there were hackers. There it's was true. That yeah. Were, yeah, it's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, and the problem is, is that they're not great people. People, yeah. and to be <laughs> like the, to be in that position, like it literally is George in the basement. I mean, that's well, like yeah. You know, be, I mean, it, it literally takes like 20 years to get to that point to be that person and experience-wise so, so to just know when. She, like, Just to be clear, now I've been called a long beard and George in the basement. <laughs> We're really well, saying we, we've, we've, call, we've called you a lot worse things, but we not have. to your face. But hey, I appreciate those more. Out yeah, yeah. See, I, have to, I have to keep mine uh, PG-13 because I'm not old enough to be really <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but, do you, uh, but do you think those experienced admins are also going to potentially make things in, unintentionally worse? Because they've made things so easy for themselves, where maybe they like yes. set UID somewhere. Uh, Patrick, I'll, I'll take that in a slightly different direction because I like where you're going with it. In yeah. that, experienced admins and/or developers do have, I think, uh, a vision and a, a purview into the systems that give them an advantage when it comes to security and detecting. And this hackers. assumes they care about security. True. Mm-hmm. The other, the the other edge of that sword is. They think they know the way, mm-hmm. and they're not going to change, and they're going to introduce vulnerabilities because, oh, I'm not going to use that that new tool or that new though. Like I, I, I know that this is the way. And oftentimes, John Strand has said the senior developers are the ones in in this example, right, that introduce more vulnerabilities because they they know they know the system. This is the way we've They've done been it. Doing it that like, way, the way we we'll always this, do it. This works, and yeah. there's some safeguards around it, and this is good. But they haven't considered the one or two different scenarios in their design and implementation that can lead to failure, and, right? right. But they will catch a whole bunch of evil hackers because they know the systems. But again, it's that double-edged sword. And one sword. other little piece, I'll, I agree with all that. And one other little piece I'll add to that too, though, is a lot of people like me were doing this before we even had a focus on what we're talking about here. Yeah. And we were really just trying to keep everything running yes. because we had we didn't have 
all these yep. teams and tools and everything else. It was like, we just need a system to run. So by automating as much as possible, and, and that I think gets back to Patrick's point, uh, it, it meant we did, we did neglect things because we said, oh, if I always press this one script and I run it every day, I'm good and I don't have to worry about it anymore. And then if it ain't you, broke, you, don't fix it. And yeah, and you don't move forward because as things started to evolve, people are stuck on that. Oh, I always just hit this yep. this control function every no, morning. I, I think experienced sysadmins have definitely evolved, but there's so many more variables thrown into the system. That's what I mean. Right, that they yeah. you, you lose track. Well, of I mean, brains, you still right? want the system to run. So if new stuff starts happening, you take you do something about it. But you didn't tend to to be have a lot of time to focus on. Let me think about how I could do better things. It was just kind of like I got to yeah. get this going. But I think experienced developers and sysadmins have this one commonality that we don't trust anything the user gives us in anything oh, yeah. the user does. Yeah. And and I think just, it takes time to develop. And that. we just basically hate people. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. Uh, that's part of it. That's part, it is. I, I, I can't disagree that that's part of it, right? But, like, even in d design meetings, say, with Mark, I'm like, I don't want you to have to worry about that when you use our software, right? Like, I just want to set that for you because it's one less variable that you have to consider as a user. I just want to check everything around this particular condition. I want to set it for you. And I want to move forward. It's one less thing that you have to provide right. me that I have to worry about either right. a security or a failure condition, like a security vulnerability or a failure condition. I don't have to worry about that. I'm just going to, this is, is what it is. I'm going to check these different things. If things go wrong, I'm going to come back to you and say, you're screwed up. Like, go fix it and come back later when you know what to give me as far as input, right? But I, I think it's that mindset that makes our systems as a whole more resilient. So, but, so but that's, and that's essential what we're talking about is resiliency, right? I mean, that's right. what Ben's yeah. talking about doing purple exactly. teaming and assessments is becoming more resilient. I don't think there's a lot of new lessons <laughs> in terms of resiliency. We've learned a lot of these lessons. We just need to apply them to today's yeah, and, technology. And, and the, another big piece is that most people don't even know what's going on in their environments. Like yep, you right. look at the sysop, yeah. And you do one thing, they're like, that is not normal. Yep. Well, they know yeah. that because they know what normal is. Right. You go to some of these shops and they're like, you know, I'm like, do you have a identity management system? I'm like, yeah, we've got this, you know, you know, CyberArk, whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's look and see and make sure that everyone's following it. And like, you know, 20 of their domain admins are creating random users yeah. on individual workstations or whatever the case may be. I'm like, why are they doing that? Well, I don't know. I'm like, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, they shouldn't. So well, then it's, it's just that piece. Like, they don't know what I, is going I, really well, I think I, identity and roles and, and privileges are something we need to work on in many different aspects. I think in the days of the mainframe and developing software, we've been made aware of that. I think when we get to things like, I'm just implementing a bunch of Linux systems or Unix systems or Windows systems, we tend to lose sight of that and think that, the platform will provide the uh, rules that govern what users can do in various roles. And that's not the case. We right. need to define those and look for things that step outside of that. And I think mm -hmm. we've lost sight of that, yes. especially in an Active Directory environment yeah. that is way too trusting of everything that's in the environment, that yeah. the admins need to be very, very much more aware of the rules that govern what users can do, what different roles 
whether it's a user or a service account, what that account can do. Well, they sold they sold a bill of goods to people that was called decentralized computing, where they said, you know what, you yep, can get exactly. rid of Doug. He's a bastard, and you ought to get rid of him. And all the users went, hell yes, and they adopted decentralized yeah. computing, and then we've spent the next 40 years trying to get back to the mainframe. That's really, that's really deep, Doug. That's actually <laughs> one of the more, no, that's exactly that's one the of the more right insightful exact. things that we've talked about in the no, show. And that, that is exactly that's, right, Job. That sums it up nicely. It really Nailed does. It. Nailed, it. nailed it. So in the in moving us along, I, I, the, the <laughs> <laughs> now that we just shattered the security yeah, yeah. model for <laughs> every system being implemented uh, I, today, I think that there was something that really came up that was interesting that Ben and I talked about uh, earlier this week was that that whole heuristics model of looking at user behavior. And while we were on the call, Ben had this crazy idea that all of a sudden just came up like. All of our tools are list, written in English, and I go, uh, you know, what happens when we maybe start writing our tools in another language? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe we do that. Show me the guy. Oh, but it, do you see what I'm getting at? And, and Ben, did you get a chance to flesh any more of that out since we talked? Yeah, so I actually did a couple of tweets yesterday uh, because uh, you know I was like, well, what happens if I put the Korean keyboard on my computer and I type? the characters for the word password, uh, for the Korean word of password. Right. And so like, what does that look like? And what, you know, so like it was like D-S-A-B or something like that. Right. And so then I was like, I was like, I wonder how many that happens. And I, we had talked and there was an article where or a tweet or something or like they, they were, everyone was like, why do I keep seeing like J-P-R-B-9 whatever showing up in all my password lists like over and over and over and over again. And it turned out that that was the keyboard strokes for the Japanese word for password. Hmm. And so then I was like, oh, I wonder like, I wonder what that would look like. And so then I began to look at least from the Korean side, but also like looking at uh, some of the other languages like Japanese, Chinese or whatever, what that would look like. And so now I'm actually going through and looking through all of our password lists and seeing if maybe that's there. And that actually might not be a bad way to like, keep your password as password is do it in another language <laughs> i don't know i go <laughs> nice. Nice. so but but now we start thinking about what if we start uh using those keyboards and so forth in something like powershell so that those commands are now looking different mm -hmm. so that maybe we're avoiding some of that heuristics mm -hmm. yeah. yeah like uh, signatures and heuristics are not internationalized it, right it, like yeah uh, yeah, like, Cor Corey from uh, Corey Thune from uh, Gragval was I don't know if he said this on air or not but uh, I, I, I get it when it comes to software like making an internationalized version of your software mm -hmm. is not an easy chore right no. and it's something that many of us that have that are maintaining software like have to deal with right mm -hmm. and what are the security ramifications of using different languages to get around whatever detections we have. It's a very interesting idea. Okay. I like it because yeah. we haven't talked about it a lot in the show. Right. So I think it's a it, very it, fascinating it was, idea. It, ben yeah. and I were talking about avoiding detection like the other day. And yeah. uh, it was, he's like, what if we use a different language? I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm so asking you that. You better so think now, about that. <laughs> so that is, that is part of my thing series is like, you know, you know, that's one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to actually going to run all of these commands, make sure that they can work and whatever. But see if I can like get around the detections. Yeah. I mean, I'll look horrible, like because like, you know, here I am helping the red again. But like now, is the question is, 
how do we actually, what does that look like on the other side? And does it translate? And does every sim translate it well? Like some, like if I send a bunch of, you know, you know, different language characters to my Splunk or whatever, is it going to translate well? And is it going to break anyone's regex? Uh, I know a lot of people have well, like these crazy yeah, regexes. Is it going to break software in general? I mean, even in English, when we talk about the difference between ASCII and Unicode, anyone that's written code knows like that can be a real pain in the ass, animal, right? Yeah. It's a whole di- and, 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 and as Joff, you know, right? The difference between <laughs> Python two seven and three handles exactly. that very differently, right? That's exactly right. I was about to say that. Yeah. I've actually got a talk on that. I've been doing all year uh, at Sands, and uh, I'll probably, I, I'm probably will do it at Wild West Hacking Fest. I just had to think a minute, um, which talks about the uh, the the idea of uh, converting your Python two to Python three scripts, and it's all about Unicode. It is. I mean, that that's the big deal because they right? handle it very differently. Yeah, and and, and most well, things they, have they don't they don't even handle it at all in Python two. That's the thing. Yeah, that's, that's my that's my struggle, and it's yeah. it's hard when you start dealing with REST APIs and JSON. And there are functions to convert it to UTF-8, right, which make it very yep. handy, but it's very different between the different yep. Python versions and very different between what we're talking about in different language and character yep. sets. And I, yeah, and, and maybe, ben, I sh- maybe, sh- maybe I should do a quick text, text segment on that at, at one night. Yeah. But the, yeah. the simple thing uh, to remember for folks is, uh, it, you know, if you're dealing with network and files, normally you're dealing with byte objects and... Yep. and you know, byte objects are cool and they do work perfectly well in Python 3. Um, if you want them to be string objects, you can make them string objects. You just have to actually convert them to such. To a uh, character set that is standard across your code base, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And UTF, yeah. UTF-8 is, is very uh, common. It's the default in Python 3 yeah. uh, for string coding. The, this, but there's a big difference there. The, this reminds me to exactly some of the same stuff that Ben and I were talking about. Like, uh, you know, changing the language for the use of our tools uh, ben you were saying you're you're learning some spanish yeah right? and, so and, I, and, and i'm yes. and i'm trying to learn some korean uh you know hence the korean during the, the, uh, during those those <laughs> i go uh, uh <laughs> but uh um but now thinking about you know you were telling me you were relating me a story about that you knew someone that was using a completely different off the wall language for interpreting to be able to interact with stuff and like now you bring this whole UTF-8 thing into it and like, well, maybe now all of our commands should be done via emoticons. Let me just smiley face that. Yeah. And, yeah. I think, I think that, I think if we just changed everything to, you know, emojis or emoticons or whatever the case may be, like, I think that would just solve it. Like, this, no, just get rid of it. no, I stripped that stuff out. Now, so do you detect, do you strip that out of the detection of the commands that are running your SIM? Any user input, Right in certain applications, like the one I'm working with, right in in Python two seven specifically, Joff. Right, I yeah. will. I have functions that remove anything that is not ASCII. Right, because when you enter, if think about an application, right, you enter a name or a title or whatever. You, you really don't want anything that's not an ASCII character in there. But what that, if, but if, that what, could be functional but, but issues. What if, it could be security issues. I strip it out. But what if my name is really Poo Emoji? 
you cannot interact with my application. You are so, not a host. You, type you are out. not a host on Security Weekly. So Damn it! Your emoji. name is blank. Your name is blank. Uh, In my code right now, your name would be blank. Because you know what? That's a, this sounds like a, a fantastic fucking challenge does, that does. I should go legally change my name to like so, Pooh, un, right? either Unicode Snowman. You would or, break so many applications, oh, yeah. dude. Ours so, included. Your name would be break. blank. And you then when I check, taxes. like if you're a yeah. host on the show, I check if your name is none in in Python. Right, none is a, yeah. a thing. And you, you'd be yeah. none, and you wouldn't be a host on the show anymore. Right. Well, so, and, <laughs> and, and you would and just disappear. And, you and, would and, disappear. And be like, Poof. what the hell happened to Larry? And, and this this <laughs> comes back to the whole thing about uh, one of the things that Eric Johansson did many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I met Eric at ShmooCon, and he was showing me all of these credit cards that he was able to uh, to get. And and, uh, and being a, a noob and an idiot at the time, I'm like, dude, they spelled your name wrong. They put three Rick. It's not E-R-I-C, it's 3-R-I-C. He's like, no, no, that's the point, because that's my legal name. I changed it to that, because putting a th number in a field where they expect only characters fucking breaks everything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, now uh, we can... Um, yeah, but a number isn't... Uh, a but, number but, is an ASCII character. But it is, but so many in of the things... In my code, that, you'd be okay, because it's an ASCII but character. But so many okay? of the things <laughs> that he was attempting to do with that, his, his official name is Eric, but it's... <laughs> the first letter of his name is actually a number. And, mm -hmm. like, if you go to sign up for a credit card, they expect yep. alpha only. A letter. Alpha. Yeah. Alpha, yeah. alpha Alpha, not numeric. Right. Alpha. Like, your, no right. your name yes. can't have a number in it, but his does. He's the original Bobby Tables. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I like alpha numeric. That's cool. Yep. Special, like, ASCII. That's cool. I'm, I'm, right? I'm, you know, that's it. I have to go call my lawyer it, and officially change my name to Pumoji. It's so, <laughs> but it's so interesting. Like, it depends on the developer, right? Right. Like, it really does depend on the developer as to how they coded the system. And if it's yep. language friendly, you'd have to get away from that. I mean, if you're going to yeah. allow it to be used in China or something where they're, you're typing in, you that's have to a whole characters. different. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, yeah. as the world shrinks, right. if you want to really be a real developer that's producing code for the world, you're going to mm -hmm. have to allow Unicode in in those fields. It's true. You're not going to be oh, able to got, restrict no. it to ASCII. It's just not going to work. And in my epic, there's a whole project that's going to uh, take it from two seven to three. I mean, right? even that, just it, in, in yeah. Poland, it, it's not going to work because they have all kinds right. of characters that are not in that basic character set. So you have to go so, to so Unicode. This, this whole discussion actually reminds me of um, one of the phishing techniques that, that that we use quite a lot, and I'm sure Ben's familiar with this, and that is Punicode Yay. for for DNS. Yeah. Um, it, you know, one of the favorite things that that we've done quite a lot and probably still do is generate a puny code version of a target's domain name uh, that looks very, very similar. You put the little umlaut under the U yeah. or whatever. I'm probably doing this wrong. Or you make the O with a little dot below it or something like that. So it turns out when you put that into a browser, the browser renders the Unicode just beautifully and the domain name looks identical um yep. and mm -hmm. often often it's the case in uh, outlook emails and so on yep. that the you know the url looks identical so phishing somebody and getting them to click on that becomes all of a sudden a whole lot more uh trivial and of course if you do something like uh clone like a uh you know microsoft uh, portal the, for authentication uh, adfs or whatever you, you know bob's your uncle magically you're collecting creds uh, so, so change your name to poo moji with umlauts over the but o's it's, would be yeah. a character encoding yes. i think it plays into software design as well as security i think it's really it does yeah something that we've 
not really talked about as much as I think we should because so many times in our internal application, right, we run into issues copying and pasting, Unicode character gets introduced, and the software just crashes, right? Like, that scenario can be played out in so many different ways as we've uh, described. I call that code nationalism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, Doug. Go back to your fucking mainframe. I mean, seriously. (laughs) But but what's interesting, it goes back to the mainframe in that when I was sniffing packets, I've described this on the show before. I'm like, this traffic's encrypted. And I had to do a lot of research. I'm like, I don't know if it's encrypted or what's going on. I'm like, oh, it's Epsidic. It's Epsidic. It's Epsidic, right? It's totally not encrypted, right? Like, I'm an AS400 user, yes. That is what opened up my mind to the way you can encode Uh, different. Oh, my son, you've experienced the AS400. Like an enlightenment moment. I'm like, oh, yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Just like I've told my my children that this is really bad. (laughs) My wife's doctor was Dr. Strange. Right, that worked yes. on her ankle. What, now, now, and, yeah, this is just what you told the kids. Oh. Yeah, what I told the kids. And the three-year-old totally buys it all, which is great. My wife's doctor was Dr. Strange, which, like, thinking about it, like, I really thought of Dr. Strange because she had to wait a long time before she had surgery. And he was, like, driving this really fancy sports car, right? And that when they did surgery on mom's ankle, it was like Wolverine. So if she, like clenches her toes like blades are going to come out of her foot three-year-old totally buys into that totally sweet i tell you like, what. don't make mom mad she's gonna kick you right <laughs> and i'm like if she kicks you either blades are gonna come out or you're gonna go flying like 30 feet back so all my kids are like very afraid of mom see i i, I solve that in that i do karate with our 11 year old and mm-hmm. well, now the six-year-old uh and there's been a couple of occasions where the class is really small and she and I are the only uh, black belts in class, mm-hmm. uh, and then I have to spar with her. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> and, go. And I am allowed to punch her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you better behave this week, yep. or or well, d- even better. Like, he, do you want me to go easy on you? Well, you better behave this week because we're coming back here next week. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. question, my question is, Paul, have you actually found the blades that you can install into her cast? Because it would be totally cool if you could bring it to reality. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I've got the the images. I kind of want to modify them in Photoshop and no, show my kids. Amazon, like, see these? Those are blades. Don't a, mess with them. Oh, yeah, mod the X-ray and dude, show them. Amazon, see, the adamantine. Yeah, it's right a, Amazon. Like, you got to find the snicked. Mm-hmm. You got to find them so you can like tuck got, them under the got, cast after it starts getting better. Somewhere. What was awesome though was I told my kids about. They were like, "Who's Wolverine?" I'm like, <gasps> "X-Men guys." I'm like, and they're like, "What?" So I explained the whole thing. They're like. I'm like, and it's a movie, and that's all I had to say. And they were like, Dad, can we watch the Wolverine movie? I'm like, uh, yeah, like original <laughs> X-Men. So they're watching the original uh, X-Men with Wolverine and totally engrossed, and they're like, Dad, this is awesome. I'm like, I know, uh, right? <laughs> like I've read my own like nerd children. They get into all this stuff with me that is just like the greatest joy in life. That I'm like, yes, we can yep. nerd out on speaking, X-Men now. Speaking of nerd children, Ben. <laughs> ben, you're up for five questions, questions, my friend. Uh, Are you ready to play five questions with oh, Security yeah, Weekly? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Ben, three words to describe yourself. Small, young, and 
short. I'm, I'm so okay. turned. I'm so, so turned Anakin on right Skywalker, now. Skywalker, we get what? it. If Ben, if you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Uh, Fruit Loops. If you wrote a book about yourself, what would the title be? No, I'm really not this young. In the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? Second. Choose two celebrities to be your parents. Alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise. Short or tall. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hawkins and uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, Ben 10, thank oh. you so much for appearing on Security Weekly. It was wonderful having you. You can go to uh, trustedsec.com forward slash Security Weekly. That is the URL. Ben, thank you so much for hey, uh, thanks joining guys us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And, we, uh, and thanks, Ben, thanks for the inspiration in that language thing. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. We made it to talk later on that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some cool uh, research done on it for both uh, red and blue. Hell yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. And with that, we'll take a short break. Come back with the security news for this week. Stay tuned.